Blog Talk Radio. Give you the skills and techniques that you'll need 
no matter where your shooting path takes you. Uh, as I've said many times, the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship uh, are different from the basics. The fundamentals are the things you're going to need to know whether you're going to shoot at uh, tin cans and squirrels or if you're going to go on to become uh, a high-power competition shooter. These are, the, these are the, the things that you'll use regardless of where your shooting path takes you. And we've become really, really uh, uh, adept at teaching the fundamentals. And uh, you'll find on an Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Weekend, you'll find on the line folks, uh, uh, a full range of people who will attend. I'm talking about folks, uh, uh, there have been many times, many times, almost every time, at every line that uh, you go out in the parking lot and or to the parking area <clears throat> and help folks get their rifle that they've never touched, they've never fired before, out of their box from Academy or Walmart, and they get them to bring it onto the line, all the way to folks that, uh, you know, they come bringing their complete uh, uh, high-power rigs and everything else. They're, they'll all be on the line together, and they all benefit from it. Everybody benefits from uh from having a rock-solid foundation in the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship. At the same time that we're giving you the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship, we're also going to talk to you about the history of our nation, about American heritage, about the events of April 19, 1775, the day that this nation started, and some of the reasons uh, that it started, and the ways that uh, that the events occurred on that day. And we're going to talk more about history in just a little while. Tonight we have, uh, as our guest, Benjamin Smith, who is the editor of Patriots of the American Revolution magazine. This is a uh, a really, really well-done magazine. And uh, while we're talking, if you want to take a look at it, you can go over to uh, www.patriotsar.com. www.patriotsar, all one word, lowercase, dot com. <clears throat> That'll take you to the uh, magazine's homepage. And uh, it's a really great magazine. Like I said, very professionally done, nice, slick magazine. And, uh, and it's all about what we like to talk about, which is the American Revolutionary War. And... It gives you a lot of insights into the American Revolutionary War. It's, uh, once you have read uh, some of the, the broader uh, works, uh, David Hackett Fisher's Paul Revere's Ride, uh, also his book Washington's Crossing, uh, if you read 1776 and, uh, uh, and on and on. If you read those books, then you're – then you'll have a good, broad understanding of it. Then, after that, you're going to want to to start looking uh, closer. You're going to want to get out your uh, hand magnifying glass and looking closer at the events of the American Revolutionary War. And this is one of the ways you can do that. This magazine is put out uh, six times a year, and it has a lot of great articles on... Uh, the folks, the patriots of the American Revolutionary War, the Founding Fathers, and then uh, a lot of stuff from uh, genealogy. And I know that a lot of our listeners have uh, relatives who fought in the American Revolutionary War. My wife is a daughter of the American Revolutionary War. 
her uh, distant uh, great-great-great-great-great-plus-grandfather was a captain in the uh, New York, uh, in the Continental Army in New York, and fought in the American Revolution through uh, many battles there in uh, in the New York area. And they have a lot of stories uh, on the individuals who fought. And they also will allow you uh, to submit articles. And uh, he'll tell you about the uh, the way that you'll go about doing that. But you can submit an article for the magazine, you know, for them to... I'm not going to tell you they're going to publish every article that comes in, but they're certainly going to allow you to submit an article to the magazine. And uh, he'll tell you, Mr. Smith will tell you more about that uh, when he comes on in just a few minutes. <clears throat> All right. Uh, very quickly, let me tell you guys that uh, uh, I'm not going to go through the the whole listing of upcoming events. Uh, there's a lot of them. And let me just say... Uh, two things. Number one, first off, how proud I am of each and every one of you guys. I mean, our organization is an all-volunteer organization. And we're all volunteers. And uh, for those of you who are part of the project, <laughs> you know what that means. It's easy for me to say the word volunteer, V-O-L-U-N-T-E-E-R. It only takes a couple of seconds to say it. But doing it is a much greater endeavor because it takes a huge amount of time. Even for the most basic uh, instructors, we're talking about a great deal of time. And I don't want to scare off people who are considering becoming uh, members or instructors, but I will tell you that right off the bat that this is a commitment. This is a – my commitment to Appleseed, when I compare it to – I spent – uh, the last couple of years uh, of my military service with uh, <clears throat> the uh, Houston Light Guard, and uh, uh, I was in a uh, uh, an Airborne Ranger Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol unit, and we were very hardcore. We did a lot of training, and uh, we did a lot of constant preparation and stuff for our mission. And I'm going to tell you right now that. <laughs> I consider my work at Appleseed to be at least on the scale of that uh, as far as the amount of time it takes. And I know that all of the rest of the folks in the program are doing about the same thing. And so first off, I just want to say my hat's off and uh, and my thank you to each and every one of you. There are a lot of other things you could be doing. There are a lot of other things that that the volunteers in this organization could be doing to uh, that, and some of it might uh, be much more satisfying uh, or much more pleasant, but they're not doing that, okay? They have made the commitment to to hunker down and to push this program forward, much for the same reasons that the founders did, uh, because for the, the most part, the instructors that I talk to have a great understanding of what we're trying to do. And we're not trying to do this. We're not trying to teach a rifle marksmanship program <clears throat> so that we can get the gratification of uh, being teachers, of uh, saying, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm teaching this program because I love uh, 
the return I get off of it, the gratification that I get from it, from the people telling me what a great teacher I am, etc. <clears throat> the instructors are not doing it for that reason. They're doing it to, for the same reason the founders did. You know, when the founders began this nation, and you can read about this uh, in the majority of their works, when you read about the founders, their ideas for this nation, and the reasons that they did it, you're going to see uh, a very uh, a prominent absence of the word I. They don't say, I'm doing this so that I can have uh, more freedom. I'm doing this so that I can uh, have more riches. Uh, it's It's very... Uh, you, you very seldom ever see that. Instead, what you hear is the founders, the patriots, saying that they are making these sacrifices for their progeny, for those who will come after. Because they had a great understanding of the fact that they had a debt to pay to those who came before them, uh, to the pioneers who first came to the nation, who helped to settle it, to the people who built the roads, to the people... Uh, who helped establish the governments, to uh, all of the folks who helped to uh, build the nation. And they weren't doing, they weren't uh, trying to gain their freedom so that they could have something. They were doing it for those that came after. Some of the, the most well-known patriots of the time were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. So, uh, their lives were pretty much, uh, they were in the last chapters of their lives. So what were they going to get out of it? And the answer is they were going to get the satisfaction of knowing that those who came after would have a nation of freedoms and liberties. Their children, their children's children, and on and on the millions of Americans who they would never meet, who they would never know, would have these things. That's something that they would hand off to them as a gift. And we owe these people uh, a huge debt. And I know I remind you of that a lot because I think it's important to understand that. We've become a nation of I's and me's, and we, we have a very poor understanding of the debt that we owe those who come before. And that's one of the things that uh, the... Revolutionary War Veterans Association does. It helps us to better understand and then helps us to better teach this idea, the fact that we have a debt to those who have come before. And how are we going to pay that debt? How are we going to pay the debt that we owe to the men and women who stood together in ranks at Lexington Green, at the North Bridge in Concord, along Battle Road back to Boston, and then for eight long, bloody years after. The American Revolutionary War, uh, at least per capita, was was one of the bloodiest wars that we've ever experienced, uh, only equaled by the American Civil War, the war between the states, <clears throat> because uh, uh, I think we've shown it uh, very often that, uh, that we... Uh, we know better than anybody else how to kill each other. <clears throat> how are we going to pay this debt that we owe? And the answer is that we're going to honor them by remembering them. We're going to remember them. We're going to tell the stories of what they did. And then we're going to try and live our lives in a fashion 
that will help to promote and continue the ideas that they wished uh, for this nation to live by. We're going to continue to try and safeguard the freedoms and liberties afforded to us by living in this nation because, uh, as I've told you again many times, you're not an American. In my opinion, you're not an American because somebody wrote your name down on a slip of paper and then signed it. That could very well make you uh, a legal American citizen, but it doesn't make you an American. You're an American when you understand that you have a sacred responsibility to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords you, and that you have a duty to hand this nation off in a better state than it was handed to you, that you have a duty to those who come after you. All right. Uh, As I told you before, our guest tonight is uh, Benjamin Smith from uh, Patriots of the American Revolution magazine. And... uh, and he's here with us tonight to uh, to talk about the magazine and about uh, why he started it. And uh, we'd like to welcome him to the show. Mr. Smith, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, we sure appreciate you uh, setting aside some time to come on the show and, and talk about the magazine. And uh, so tell us, uh, give us a little bit of, uh, of the background of this. Uh, why did you guys decide that... Uh, it was important to to have a magazine dedicated to the Patriots of the American Revolution. And, and how about how did you go about getting it started? Sure. Uh, basically, Ertl Publishing, um, who I work for, is a magazine publisher. We've started publishing magazines since the late '80s, and all of our magazines are historical in nature. In 2008, we stumbled upon a magazine started by. Tim Jacobs down in Florida called Patriots of American Revolution and we bought it and kept Tim on um, as the editor and now he's a contributing writer for the magazine and we've been able to put our resources behind the magazine and improve upon it and um, create what we think is uh, an excellent and one and only magazine about the American Revolution that people can find. Well, it is. There's not another one. Uh, That's right. I mean, there is. Uh, there are other magazines that cover that uh, at times will cover stories uh, about the American Revolution, American heritage, and stuff like that. But uh, right. there is not another magazine that is dedicated to the American Revolution. Uh, that's correct. Yep. And uh, you guys do an absolutely tremendous job at this. Thank you. Uh, so give us a uh, give us a rundown of uh, like what a typical uh, American Patriots of the American Revolution magazine uh, how it's uh, what it's going to have in it when uh, somebody uh, sure. gets a magazine it, opens it up what are they going to find in it? Sure, it, it's actually changed a little bit over the years. Um, uh, Originally, it was articles about the American Revolution and a lot of genealogical articles about uh, people, you know, subscribers or contributors who whose ancestors fought in the American Revolution. 
as we've evolved over the years, uh, our page count has gone up from 60 to 68 pages. We've got we've gained more advertisers, and our content has become more scholarly. It's not just about people writing about their ancestors who fought in the American Revolution, although that's an important component. The articles are about um, well, they're, they're about all aspects of the revolution. We used to just focus on articles about the revolution from the patriot or American point of view, and now we've branched out and we have articles now from the patriot view of the American Revolution, including scholarly articles about the revolution from the British point of view, or the loyalists, or the Hessian point of view, or the French point of view. We try to create a, a fairly well-rounded view of the American Revolution for all of our readers. Right, and uh, and like you said, you are, and it's it's very. Uh, uh, there are a uh, a lot of uh, a lot of different aspects of the war that you cover. When the before you came on, I was talking to the folks about the fact that uh, what we'd like to do, what we'd like for them to do, or what anybody to do is to first read in some of the. Uh, some of the works, like uh, I don't know if, if I mentioned to you that we have uh, like the unofficial, or actually it's like the official textbook of Appleseed right now, and it's uh, David Hackett Fisher's book, Paul Revere's Ride. Oh, and, I love that book. That's a that's a fantastic book. Right. It's the and I've read a lot of different books now on uh, the American Revolutionary War, and especially about the events of Lexington, Concord, and. Uh, and Battle Road, the events of April 19, 1775. And there is no other book that I've found that covers it in as great a detail and as accurate a detail as uh, Mr. Fisher's book does. No, it's a really interesting book because it really shows the early part of the conflict from two very different perspectives. You have Paul Revere and you have uh, British General Cornwallis, and you see their – uh, their motives, their desires, the personalities, and together those two very different perspectives make up that early part, the vital part of the American Revolution. Right, and what we'd like for the folks to do is, you know, they first read those books, become familiar with them, and then uh, and read other books, you know, that they can find on the subject. But these are uh, even as uh, detailed as Paul Revere's ride is. David Hackett Fisher's book, Paul Revere's Rod, even as detailed as it is, uh, it can't be as detailed as it could be because there's simply too much information in it. But your magazine goes a step further. So if you guys want, if the folks want to find out more specific information, then once you read these books that are overviews of the war, then you can pick up stuff like the uh, Patriots of the American Revolution magazine, and you can find uh, detailed articles on specific people, on specific battles, uh, yep. on motivation behind certain events. Uh, uh, all of the the more detailed information that you would like to find uh, your, is going to be in your magazine because uh, each of the art of, each of the uh, issues have very detailed articles on uh, specific subjects. Like I'm looking at uh, uh, the current article. What you have uh, is uh, oh, an article on General Mercer, on, uh, on General, uh, uh, Hugh Mercer 
Yep. And uh, then there's uh, another article about African Americans in the Continental Army. Yep. Uh, because at first they were uh, forbidden to fight, but then later on, I believe Washington started seeing. He said, "Look, they're going to have to be involved in some way because <laughs> the uh, the British were making great use of them." He said, "They're going to have to be involved in some way." So they started taking uh, African Americans as uh, soldiers in the Continental Army. There's uh, an article on Deborah Sampson, Maiden with a Musket. Uh, That's a great article. Yeah. And uh, there's just a, a huge number of articles in each uh, magazine they give you detailed information on specific people, specific events. So uh, I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. Now, your magazine comes out uh, bi-monthly, right? That is correct. Yep, everyone gives it every other month. Okay, and uh, which I think would, would probably is good because that gives you enough time to uh, – Enough time to read each of the articles and then uh, do some of your own investigation uh, into those specific events. And uh, and like I said, uh, that is correct. We do we do fact check every article and we do you know, um, edit every article several times. Uh, having it bi monthly is you know it's perfect for us. If we had to do it monthly at this point, uh, it would be tough because a lot of work goes into Every issue, not just the design, but the editing and the fact-checking and the copy editing and the proofreading. Right, and it's a very, it's a very slick magazine. It's a very professionally done magazine, and the uh, the photography and the artwork are just absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Uh, now, I wanted to tell, uh, I wanted you to tell folks because I told them about this a little bit earlier. Also about uh, the uh, uh, you have the genealogy, and then you guys also uh, will actually accept you. You allow people to submit uh, contributions to the article for for consideration uh, to the That's magazine correct. about uh, folks like family members who have fought in the American Revolution genealogy and stuff like that. Yes, that that is correct. And uh, so, if somebody wanted to submit an article, how would they go about doing it? Now, I know it's also on your – the uh, instructions are also on your uh, website, and I told folks that's www.patriotsar, one word, lowercase, dot com. Uh, that's right. And uh, the uh, instructions are there, but but tell folks uh, how they would go about submitting an article. Well, on that website, if you go to uh, you know contact, you would find my email address, which is associate at patriotsar.com, or you would find the address of our editor, David, at editor at patriotsar.com, or uh, which a lot of people do, they just call and they talk to us about potential articles and they call 937-767-1433. All right. And uh, that is the ability for for folks to actually uh, – and a lot of folks – and the reason I mention this is because a lot of folks uh, are taking this very seriously. They're taking the – genealogy searches very seriously and it's also uh, a great deal of our members 
have done the research and have uh, found family, family members who fought in the American Revolutionary War. My wife is a uh, daughter of the American Revolution. and uh, oh, oh, yes. And so they are – a lot of folks take this very seriously, and genealogy has become a very uh, – uh, you know, a very important issue for a lot of folks. And once you've done all that work and once you've found out uh, your relationship to these folks, and a lot of people would like to uh, – they would like to make that information known because uh, I've talked about it several times on the on the radio show here, and and people think about American history, American Revolutionary War history, they think about it in uh at least for 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 men i think you know you see uh, when you think about something you get a visual picture of it and then sometimes you'll get right. like a visual video of it and you think about folks uh, marching uh one side marching in blue and one side marching in red and uh you know drums and fifes playing and and patriotic music and stuff like that <clears throat> but that is not the reality of uh uh, really, of anything, you know, the reality is the stories that people end up finding about their relatives, about how uh, how their relatives maybe went on the uh, the invasion of Canada with uh, Benedict Arnold and his crew, and and what they went yep. through, the hardships that they went through, and that they endured uh, in order to attempt uh, such an amazing feat as that. And they want to have that information published, and I think it's absolutely fantastic that your magazine provides uh, a chance for people's stories to be considered. Well, thank you. It, you know, it is fascinating to me. Um, when I trace my ancestry back to the American Revolution, I'll be honest, I had ancestors who fought on the Patriot side, and I had ancestors in New York City who fought on the Loyalist side and it's a really just a fascinating American narrative right and uh, <clears throat> that brings me to uh, <clears throat> to another aspect and I mentioned this earlier whenever I whenever I talked to you is <clears throat> the the reason or the importance of history, why it's important to know it. When you know, sometimes people will get the question about why, why the history. Now, not for people who've been to an event, but but when people are considering an event, when they hear that we're going to teach history, it's why, why, you know, what does that have to do with anything? And I got to admit, uh, and I've told this story uh, several times, even though it shames me to tell it every time, uh, is that. Uh, Whenever I first heard about the Revolutionary War Veterans Association, that uh, the exact same thought came into my mind, and that was, why is this person talking about the American Revolutionary War? And you may not know it, but we have our uh, uh, the guy who started the RWVA, his uh, his uh, his organizational name is Fred, and he has a column. Uh, a huge column in the Shotgun News where he talks about uh, the organization and about the Revolutionary War and stuff like that. And I was reading it and I thought, why is he dredging up this uh, dusty, moldy history? <laughs> you know, why? I, I'm, I'm too busy for this. It was too long ago. And 
you know, how is this relevant to anything? And uh, and like I said, that was much earlier in my life. And uh, like I said, I, I'm I'm willing to bear the shame of that because how is it that uh, that I feel that I don't have the time to remember the men and women who gave, uh, in many cases, everything, their fortunes, their lives, so that I could have, I could live in a nation that affords me the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation does. And uh, so that made me ashamed, you know, when I realized that. What do you mean? I don't have time. I don't have time to remember somebody. I don't have time to read something about the American Revolutionary War. And uh, and then once I did, I began to realize that uh, previously my my history had kind of slowed down and came to a crawl around uh, World War Two, and uh, right. and of course now I, I realize that that this time period in our history, the American Revolutionary War, is some of the most exciting, some of the uh, the most romantic and uh, adventurous history uh, that I've ever read, and. And like I was talking to you earlier about is, uh, you know, uh, the whole reason that we that we should know about our history, uh, it has to deal do with the – and the way I explain it at an Appleseed event is <clears throat> if you don't know your history, uh, if, even just your own personal history, if, I, if you don't know – uh, who your mother and father were, or what you do, for, what you did for a living, or your last name, or if you don't know any of that, then how are you going to know what you're supposed to do tomorrow? How are you going to know what you have done or what you haven't done? How are, how are you going to know what to do next? And that is why I think history is so important to us as individuals and us as a nation. You know, the saying that. Uh, that those who do not know their history are doomed to repeat it, I think is just uh, is spot on. Well, I agree with that. One one comment or one point that I always reflect upon is that the American Revolution, as far as our country is involved, is the you know the earliest you know technically the earliest. Uh, war that really formed us as a nation. I mean, you can go beyond and go to you know the French Indian War, but the American Revolution created us as a country, and you know it's also the most distant, as far as time is concerned, uh, war for our nation. Many people, t- to their credit, today reflect upon the Vietnam War and World War Two and so forth. A lot of people do not reflect upon as much as I think they should on the American Revolution. It's much more interesting. It's much more dynamic. It's much more complex than many people realize. Absolutely. Fantastically complex. The farther I go into the American Revolutionary War history, the the more uh, the more connections I see. It was the first uh, world war, you know, we have the we have what we call the first world war, but that wasn't the first world war. The first world war was the American Revolutionary War, and right. uh, 
And or, or you can even say the, the, the French and Indian War shortly before the American Revolution. Right, right. Yep. But uh, but even that was uh, the complexity of the American Revolutionary War far outweighed uh, the French and Indian War because what you had right. was you had another whole huge nation being thrown into the mix. Uh, you know, the French and Indian War you had the you had the established nations uh, going about their business of uh, of reestablishing uh, what their pecking order and stuff. But then, in the American Revolutionary War, you had uh, you were thrown into the mix was a, a completely new nation because I just got the reading about uh, the American diplomats that had been sent out. Uh, you know, around the around the world to plead their cases and how uh, how they were received or not uh, in different uh, countries. Uh, you know, their uh, the diplomatic uh, missions that we sent to France and uh, Prussia and uh, the Netherlands and Holland and on and on, and uh, how the uh, how the trade that we had, uh, the illicit trade that we had uh, with the ne- with the Netherlands, uh, ended up causing uh, one of the first major alliances in Europe. Uh, you know, with uh, Prussia and the Netherlands and Sweden, uh, uh, all of those folks to join together as a block to fight, uh, uh, or to not to fight against the British, but to join together as a block to threaten the British. And it's just uh, it's uh, the the absolute breadth of of what those eight years did uh, is amazing. You know, you when you live uh, you live next to a creek that uh, that runs into what would eventually become, uh, say, the Mississippi River or the Amazon or anything like that. You know, from outside your window, it's a little one foot wide creek. But down the road, it's going to be uh, a river two miles across, uh, ten miles across, you know, when it enters the ocean. And that's the way I see uh, the events as they began, you know, how, the, how they affected the world as a whole from the American Revolutionary War. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and one thing I, I, will, I will point out is that, you know, growing up in New Jersey, I really got a sense of the fact that in New Jersey and states like South Carolina especially, the American Revolution at times was almost really, truly a civil war. Absolutely. 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 And, and to me, that the history of that, of the loyalists who – we're simply loyal to the crown and the patriots who are simply loyal to the concept of independence. You know, it transcends family uh, boundaries and borders and so forth. And it's a great classic transcendent American narrative. Right. And you, and you hit upon a, a really good point because when I was talking earlier about, uh, and at least for me, and I know it must be for the majority of people, is when you hear about the American Revolutionary War, you first get that uh, that image in your mind of Continental soldiers marching. They're all dressed in blue, and the 
the British regulars all dressed in red, and uh, the stars and stripes flying on one side, and the Union Jack on the other, and they're all lined up in columns, and and the uh, drum and fife going, and and the uh, redcoats on one side drinking tea, and you know the Americans on the other drinking grog, or you know, or rum or something, or, or whatever they're doing. And that's the way that you see it. And the eventual who's you know hoorays and huzzas on July 4th, uh, and everybody up jumping up and down. But that's really that is the exception. The American Revolutionary War was not fought by by uniformed ranks. The great uh, uh, the greatest bulk of it was fought just like you were saying as a civil war between colonists. You had the loyalists and the, the what we call the patriots or the rebels and those were the majority of the folks who led each other's blood. And quite frequently it wasn't done on uh, uh on a huge open field uh you know uh, according to the rules. It was done in horrific uh uh, town-to-town raids that were bloody and evil, and uh, it was very, very, uh, very ugly. You start talking about some of the, bo- the battles like uh, Kings Mountain and stuff like that, which were major battles, and they weren't uh, they weren't fought by uniforms. I think there were a hundred British regulars that uh, fought on the side of the loyalists, but for the most part, no, it, but yeah, it you're was, right. That was mostly on the um on the enemy side, so to speak, it was mostly uh, loyalists. Right, and and they're uh, and that's the way that the war went on, and and you had plenty of cases of uh, uh, of cousins fighting cousins, and in some cases brothers are fighting brothers, you know, split by their loyalties to either to the Americas or to uh, or to England, and. Uh, then you have the Indians thrown in, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to, uh, you know, best benefit from this. And they're promised on one side by the British that if they'll join the British uh, and the British regulars, that they that uh, that they can keep the American colonists, keep them bottled up against the uh, the ocean, because that's where England wanted right. the folks. They didn't want them spread out across the nation. Because if you spread out across the nation, you have to start building your own factories. They had to; they needed them to be dependent on England for their commodities, and uh, that means they all had to be kept together up against uh, the coastlines. So the Indians were all right. for that, and uh, unfortunately for them, they picked the wrong side. And uh, and you have the first, uh, the actual first splits uh, in a lot of the tribes. Uh, you know where you had the intertribal war and stuff. And uh, it, uh, it it was just uh, to a great deal very very ugly and uh, and not the romantic things that people envision when they think of the American Revolutionary War. No, it was it was not it was it was a very important and necessary and noble and pragmatic war. It was not. Always the most, as you point out, romantic or um, you know polite war. It was it was brutal. Right, and you and I were laughing earlier when we were talking about the uh, <clears throat> about the uh, the 
folks uh, when we were talking about history and remembering history and and I was saying that uh for you to understand history for you to understand its its impact on folks you have to understand uh or to understand the effects that it has today you have to understand what has happened in history you know when people uh people in the United States they when we talk about China and uh, stuff like that we don't we don't think of China and say, yeah, remember when the Chinese invaded America and uh, remember your great-great-grandfather was killed by the Americans, I mean by the Chinese when they invaded? And yet the Chinese, they they remember that very vividly. I don't know if Americans, uh, most Americans I'm sure have no clue uh, that there was anything even uh, that anything was even called the Boxer Rebellion where the United States invaded China and killed uh, a large amount of Chinese, and uh, and yet I can guarantee you the Chinese remember it very very well, and it's taught every day in their schools. So whenever you're dealing with uh, somebody in China, that's something that uh, is going to be uh, uh, on the top of their mind is that uh, you know the Americans faded their country. If you if you are a Texan. And you go to Colorado, and you go in a bar and you start shooting your mouth off about uh, Texans being tough and stuff, uh, there's probably going to be 80% of the bar is going to jump on you and just beat the living tar out of you because they remember the time the Texans invaded Colorado and uh, shot some of the folks there, and they captured them and drove them off. And and, uh, even though that was 100 years ago, it's still taught in the schools, and they still remember it. They still remember that. When Americans start talking, uh, you know, especially like during World War II, <clears throat> and uh, they were over there and they were saying, and even still you hear people talking about it now, saying, well, you French people, you ought to be grateful to us because we saved your bacon in World War II. And they're right. They did. But then you go back another hundred years, and there you find uh, the French saving America's bacon. So, uh, you know, history uh, history is very important. It's very important for you to understand history so that you'll know the reason why people are making decisions and you'll know why you should be making certain, certain decisions or at least have the information available to you so that you can understand things that worked and things that didn't work. Well, well, I'll tell you this. What's really fascinating for me is when you talk to um, you know Canadians, because they have a very interesting uh, view of American history. Because uh, you know, from their perspective, twice the United States has invaded Canada, uh, once during the American Revolution, uh, early on, and once during uh, the War of eighteen twelve. Right. Right. And uh, I can guarantee you, if you walk out in the street of any city and you ask about, uh, uh, do you remember uh, the American invasion of Canada? They would just start laughing because they would think right. that you were joking. That you had, that you that you didn't know what you were talking about. And you said, "Yeah, you don't remember it either." I'm talking not talking about the first time we invaded. I'm talking about the second time we invaded. <laughs> and they would just laugh even harder. Yep. <laughs> and yet, that, that that's taught. In Canadian schools, yep. Uh, you know, it's a 
one of the things is that uh, America as a country is that we're we've been isolated from the rest of the world by the oceans. I mean, we do have Canada to the north of us and Mexico to the south, uh, who we've also invaded several times. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, correct. Yeah. And for us, the 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 motivation to understand people in other parts of the world uh, is less because we don't have as much interaction. If you are in England or Spain or Italy, then you have uh, you have a great deal of interaction with uh, the countries in Europe, and you have a more uh, uh, more of a connection to the other nations. And a and a uh, I don't know want to uh, I'm not trying to say that any of those nations are any better or worse than anything else. I'm just saying that they have they have more of an understanding of their place in the world and their relationship to the world, where we do not. No, um, you know, I think geography you know, plays a huge part of American history. You're absolutely right. We are separated from uh, Western Europe and from the Far East by these two massive oceans. Right. And uh, and that has caused us to to turn in upon ourselves. And, and of course, to me, it's very, you know, they have the, you've got the, uh, or at least the rest of the, world does and it's not that far of off an opinion and that is of the the ignorant Americans because the Americans and, and especially of our uh, our short short term memory uh, let alone having any kind of a long term memory but our short term memory you know, Americans are very good at not remembering things that happened 5 years ago uh that's correct you know we've got uh, one of the parallels that I draw for Texans is you had uh, in 1775. You had <clears throat> the the uh, British. Uh, you have General Gage saying that, uh, well, the the colonists, you know, they've got these flintlock rifles, and that is that is where their ability to cause us grief lies. And one of the components of the flintlock rifles, it is a necessary component, is the gunpowder. Without gunpowder. Uh, the it's basically just a big heavy club, and uh, so the best thing to do, in, in order to assure that they will shut their colonist mouths and do what I say, is to go and get the gunpowder, which, uh, in his mind, would belong to the king anyway. I did everything, uh, really, in the colonies. You know, the root of it would belong to the king. So he sent his folks out on uh, the gunpowder raids, and they went out and they took the gunpowder. And without the gunpowder, like I said, the colonists really didn't have, they weren't going to have much of an ability to do anything. They didn't have the ability at that time, really, uh, to manufacture enough to do any good. They eventually they eventually began to manufacture gunpowder, but at the time, they didn't have the ability to. So once you'd taken the gunpowder, uh, you know, the, the folks were in some trouble there, but it didn't turn out the way he expected it to. Uh you know, it turned out uh, to enrage and unite the colonists, and uh, and it was actually the way I see it. The the British went about it exactly wrong because every time they went out on a raid, they were training the colonists in how to respond to it, and how to set up better lines of communication, and uh, etc. And they went on and on until it actually 
uh, until they actually had a shooting war on uh, April 19th. But by that time, they had been trained well enough that they had all their systems set up. And uh, <clears throat> so we have that. Now, you jump forward uh, less than 100 years, and you come to Texas. Uh, and let me let me preface the, the first one, too, is that the colonists, at least in the beginning, they didn't want – uh, nobody wanted independence. They weren't even talking about independence. What they wanted was their rights under the British Constitution. And, That's correct. Uh, they just wanted representation, which they felt was uh, warranted under the Constitution. Right. And, you know, for almost the first year, if if Great Britain would have given the colonists that, that would have been the end of it. That would have been the absolutely. end of it. Now I won't say forever, but, but for the first year – they would have done that. I mean, you look at uh, yep. look at uh, one of the first flags. Uh, you know, you had the uh, oh, I can't think of it. Uh, uh, not the communion, but the uh, uh, you know, you had the stars and stripes with the Union Jack up in the top corner. I, for some reason, I'm getting a mental right. block on it right now. But anyway, that was to signify that uh, that the colonies wanted to be they wanted to uh, govern themselves as a uh, as a child of uh, their their uh, their parent nation uh, of uh, England, and uh, that's what they were. That's what they began fighting for. Now, like I said, you jump forward to the uh, the Texas uh, rebels, and what you had there was almost the exact same case. You know, when they began their rebellion. The only thing they were asking for, and this is before the rebellion, the only thing they were asking for, the Grand Union, okay, that's what it was, the Grand Union. One of the folks in the chat room uh, brought me up to speed on it. Anyway, the the Texans didn't want independence to begin with. They wanted their rights under the Mexican Constitution. And uh, when they were denied that is when they started uh, really becoming more troublesome. And so... Santa Ana decided that one of the best things, the way to uh, to shut this down, was to go and take their arms and their munitions and uh, and a couple of cannon that they had, and he said that'll fix it, that'll shut them up. And once again, it didn't turn out like uh, he expected to. We even have a flag here in Texas uh, dedicated to that event. One of them is, uh, I'm sure you've seen this, is the flag uh, with the. Uh, the cannon and the words written above it, come and take it. <laughs> you know, he, he threatened to come and, and confiscate their cannon so they would shut up, and they just made that flag. They said, okay, come take it. And uh, <clears throat> and that war started with the same results. If Santa Ana had been a student of history, then he might have used the American Revolutionary War as a guide on what not to do, but he didn't, and he achieved the same uh, the same end result. Absolutely, uh, you know, I I am uh, truly intrigued in uh, that part of American history as well, uh, leading up to the uh, Mexican-American War. Uh, I, I think it's a little understood and uh, to the average Joe in America, a little reported uh, time segment in our history's uh, in our nation's history. Uh, we got some folks on. Uh, uh, listen, if you guys uh, would you mind taking a uh, a couple of questions? 
Oh, of course I'd be glad to. All right. Listen, guys, if you want to call in and uh, ask Mr. Smith uh, some questions or if you want to make any comments, you know you're always welcome to. You can call in at 347-308-8790 and talk to the call screener, and he'll get you set up. 347-308-8790, and he'll, uh, we'll get you on the air. You can ask some questions. All right. Uh, we've got a caller now. Uh, Dean, you're on the air. Yeah, uh, good evening. Uh, Serendipity is a wonderful thing. I was just in the middle of reading David Hackett Fisher's book, Washington's Crossing, about the battle of uh, Trenton and then Princeton immediately thereafter. And I found that really interesting. And then the first issue of your excellent magazine arrived, and there's an article about General Mercer, who was killed at Princeton. Yes. And um, I have, well, one comment. I hadn't been so aware that the Battle of Trenton was more than a one-day thing. Uh, Found out that uh, Washington didn't beat the Hessians at Trenton because they were hungover. It's mainly that they were just exhausted from being on alert almost 24 hours a day for about five days in the bitter cold. Yeah, the the Battle of Trenton is an interesting part of American history because there is you're correct. There's a lot of misconceptions. There's uh, you know a lot of people think the Hessians were just you know drunk and uh, hungover, and the Americans uh, you know easily came in and, and conquered Trenton and so forth. And it was much more complicated than that. Um, you know that article about Hugh Mercer. Highlights that and hints at that. Uh, a lot of credit, I will say, for the American victory at the Battle of Trenton belongs to Henry Knox, who brought along more than enough artillery fire to defeat the Hessians in Trenton. Uh, you know, everyone thinks Washington came in, the Hessians were drunk, and it was an easy battle, and and, and it wasn't quite so. No, he Knox set up. He knew he thought exactly where to set up those cannons. He set the cannons up uh, at the end of each of the main streets, loaded them That's with correct. canister, with grape shot, and he said he cleared the streets in a twinkling of the eye. Yep. Yeah, the, uh, That's absolutely correct. A lot of people really need to give uh, Henry Knox more credit for the really completely, massively, in my opinion, pivotal victory in, in Trenton. Oh, definitely. And you were you were saying earlier that, uh, or uh, uh, Dean, you were talking about them uh, catching the Hessians unaware, and you're exactly right. They were far from unaware. They'd gone out repeatedly, over and over. There'd been alarms and alerts, over and over. They'd gone out on missions. He had all of his guys stationed out. Uh, they were laying on their arms, which means they weren't getting undressed. They were laying there, ready to go at a moment's notice. Matter of fact, the uh, the information that Washington was going to attack Trenton had been delivered uh, to the colonel, and uh, in a uh, coincidence, there was another uh, commander of a smaller unit who had actually had gone to attack uh, the Hessians there for a uh, 
uh, for an attack on one of his, I believe he had one or two of his men shot by the Hessians, he went over and attacked them earlier that evening. Now, Washington, when he found out about it, was furious with the guy, absolutely furious. He said, you've ruined us, you've ruined us, when in actually uh, the, the Hessian commander thought that that attack, which came earlier on in the evening, the, the night before, he thought that that was the attack uh, that had been uh, uh, that he'd been alerted to, and uh, so it actually worked out in Washington's favor. Yes, that, that is correct. You know, uh, and I know I'm biased because I grew up in New Jersey, and I have a very you know, um, you know, it's for me it's it's a I don't want to say personal, but it's a very special view of the Battle of Trenton, but. Uh, I do think people forget um, how special and unique and how up in the air the cause of the American, Revol- of the American Revolution was up to that point. Um, you know, Washington was considered down and out for the count, and he countered. And, it, it, you know, um, as the caller pointed out, it wasn't because the, you know, the Hessians were drunk or anything like that. It, it, it just was one of the one of those unique moments in time where you know Washington uh, gained the uh, the upper hand, and from that point on, really the course of the revolution changed. Yeah, I personally, I've always considered the Battle of Trenton and uh, Princeton to be the turning point, the the battles that won the American Revolution, because, like you said, up to that point, Washington he hadn't been defeated every time. But he had been put on the run. Matter of fact, he was considering. He had actually, uh, you know, had spoken to some of his commanders about it. Is if we have to, we'll just keep retreating. We'll go across the mountains. The British had no really good understanding of the vastness of America. They had That's they correct. would, and they they would have known. There's no way you could ever, you could ever actually conquer these people. The American continent was too vast, and uh, whenever. It, when the enlistments of these of the small army that he had left, absolutely tiny group of folks, when it, it was about to come up at the end of the year, there just in a couple of days, and uh, I, think, been, I think he had about three thousand troops in Trenton. Right, he, uh, and whenever you think about it, out of two million people, the fate of two million people are resting on the heads of about three thousand folks, and these are guys too. They haven't been paid. They don't have any clothes. Some of the guys were wearing uh, a pair of torn pants and a blanket. Uh, one of the guys yep. was wearing just a blanket with some rags wrapped around his privates and uh, no yeah. shoes, no food, no pay. And their enlistment was up in just a couple of days. And he had been uh, urged by several folks, including his friend uh, and uh, secretary, Joseph Reed, we've got to do something. Even if it's even if we get beat, it's not going to be worse than what is about to happen to us. And I think uh, one of the things too that people don't understand is that <clears throat> at the same time, at the same time that this is going on leading up to this, that the Jerseys, who which had fallen uh, rather quickly, because uh, I don't think that uh, a lot of the people there, there were quite a few loyalists there, and yeah. the Jerseys uh, had been. Uh, uh, once they had been invaded and they had been uh, uh, the troops stationed there, 
as all invading and occupying forces do, began mistreating the people. And after they had mistreated the people enough that they had pillaged, even the loyalists had been pillaged and robbed and raped, that the whole idea, the whole attitude of the folks in the New Jerseys turned back again against the British regulars. So one oh, you you are uh, you know I'm really glad you you brought that up. That that is absolutely correct. Um, it's kind of one of to me one of the great mysteries of why the British troops mistreated the New Jersey loyalists. The loyalists were on their side. And the British, you know, you're absolutely right. They mistreated, and uh, unfortunately, they had you know, it was terrible. They, they, had they it raided down. And, they, and they massacred some of them, and they really turned a lot of New Jerseyans against the British cause. Yeah, because they had that state locked down. It was ready to go. The folks had, the majority of the folks had signed uh, their loyalty papers, and they were all, yep. they were saying, "Look, you know, we're with you. We're 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 all about." Uh, you know, uh, king and country, and 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 then they started being daily. They started being mistreated. They had their houses burned and robbed. They had their wives and daughters raped, and it didn't take long at all for the for them to turn a loyal state into a rebel hotbed. Once the news of Trenton and Princeton had gotten out, the whole state of Jersey. Uh, started uh, rallying to him, and that was the actual turning point, I think, of the American Revolutionary War. Because once they drove them out of there, they drove them back out of there, then uh, uh, then the the momentum uh, of the American Revolution changed completely. Well, I agree. And then you know, a few years later, after Trenton, you have this great scene where the British evacuate Philadelphia. Uh, and they head up through New Jersey towards New York City, um, and the Americans under uh, George Washington chase this big train from Philadelphia to New York City, and that led to uh, you know one of the largest battles of the American Revolution, the Battle of Monmouth. Exactly, and you know you talked about earlier about uh, uh, Henry Knox. And I, right. I always think about you know if you have a if you have the the people who are most important I think in the American Revolutionary War you have of course Washington who was uh, an extremely complex individual and then you have uh, the two folks that stayed with him and I'm not saying that there was others but out of the out of everybody who stayed through the whole American Revolutionary War there were only two generals and Knox wasn't a general at first he was a colonel. But uh, only right. Colonel uh, Knox and General Green stayed through the whole American Revolution. And then you have Knox, who, when you start, when you read about Knox coming to Washington with the idea, he said, that I'm going to go to Ticonderoga, and I'm going to get the artillery that was there and bring it to Boston, and we'll set it up in Dorchester Heights, and we'll force the British out. And Washington said, okay, this is a brand new guy. He doesn't know him from anybody else. He just says, okay, do it. And Knox does in the winter, and you have to read the story of Knox's trip to understand what a fantastic mission this was. And it's in most history, it's just kind of a side note. Yeah, Knox went to Ticonderoga and he got the cannon, and he brought it back. 
what you don't understand is that we're talking about uh, artillery pieces weighing uh, some of them up to five tons. And, uh, and over incredibly tough terrain during the winter. Yeah, up and down uh, very steep heights in winter across frozen river after frozen river after frozen river. Uh, you have occasions where the river ice is too weak to bear these uh, uh, these multiple-ton pieces of uh, artillery, and you have Knox himself going to the rivers, chopping holes in the, the ice, because once he did that, the water pressure would force more would force the liquid water out on top of the ice where it would freeze, right. and he would keep doing that until he got the ice thick enough to bear the weight of the cannon. All right, now that's one thing. Now here's another. He's, he's bringing these pieces across the frozen rivers, and unsurprisingly, in a couple of instances, you have these huge uh, uh, two-ton, one-ton, and two-ton artillery pieces that fall through the ice of the river. And what do they do? They don't leave them there. They get guys to strip down, dive in the water, go down and rig the cannons up so that they can uh, build a, a device to bring them out of the ice, get them back on the sleds, and get them back to Boston. And he does this in the middle of winter. And it's just a huge event that, that hardly ever gets mentioned, but the, the, the mission was just tremendously important. They're, they wouldn't have forced the British out of Boston without uh, commanding the heights of Dorchester above them. They wouldn't have commanded the heights without the artillery. No, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It, it was such a pivotal role. Uh, you know, it forced the British out um, of Boston to, um, you know, uh, Halifax, uh, you know, Canada, and then the British eventually came down to New York City. And the whole thing really impacted and influenced the entire course of the revolution from that point on. Exactly. Uh, the... Uh, I just uh, 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 just walked out the door and it closed behind me. Uh, Dean, if you're still on, if you have some other questions, go ahead and jump in. I know I've been uh, monopolizing some of this. I apologize, you guys. Go ahead, Dean. Uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, Mr. Smith, uh, I might be the second because I came in late. Uh, your magazine is absolutely wonderful. I subscribed to it thank when you. I read about it in the forum. And for anybody listening, money well spent. Very detailed. Well, well, very well thank you, Dean. I, I, you know, I, I always appreciate that. that. That's that's really kind feedback. Thank you. Well, listen, uh, while we're talking about this. One thing I would like to ask about. Uh-huh. Oh, go ahead, Dean. Go ahead. Uh, is one of the British officers who was killed at Princeton was a William Leslie. And I'm wondering if you know if that was the same Captain Leslie who commanded the three companies that got beat at the Concord Bridge back in April 1775. You know, um, I, I do not know that off the top of my head. We can uh, easily find that out for you, and that, that's a, a very good and valid question. Um, what I would like to do is uh, go to our Patriots Facebook site tomorrow, Patriots of the American Revolution, and in the meantime, we we can look that up and, and try to have an answer for you. I, I think that's a, a fascinating question. Last year, 
I went to Lexington and Concord, Massachusetts for the Patriots Day celebrations. And I beseech any of your listeners, um, if you've not gone and, and, and done that, you really, really should because that, in my opinion, is the start of true American history. Oh, definitely. Uh, it is. Well, I, I'm sure you're aware that in Project Appleseed, our holiday is April 19th, and we yep. examine in great detail the events around Lexington and Concord and the retreat back toward Boston. But uh, I've gotten enough interested in that that I've expanded. And I will tell you, my son recently moved to Marlton, New Jersey. With a, well, I used to live, uh, no joke, I used to live in Marlton, New Jersey. Well, and one thing I'm going to do this fall, a few days to spare, is I'm going to just drive up to Trenton with a map and a GPS in hand, and I'm sure it's all built up now. Trenton was just a little village then, and it's a much yep. bigger city now. But I'm going to look at the hills and the creeks and try to track down much of that battle. Well, I think it's a great idea. I'd also suggest if you have time, go to uh, Princeton Battlefield State Park in Princeton. It is a wonderful area. It's one of my favorite areas of New Jersey. Um, not only is it beautiful, but as you well know, Dean, you know the history there is really rich. And it's not very far from uh, Trenton at all. Um, I'm very biased because I grew up in New Jersey, but the uh, the history there when it comes to the American Revolution is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, when it comes to uh, places like Princeton and Monmouth, um, the battlefield areas are not only are they historic and significant, but they are beautiful as well. And it's well worth taking, uh, you know, a, a family trip up to. Okay. Now, this is completely off your subject but a related thing. Mr. Smith, have your travels ever taken you to Vicksburg, Mississippi? <laughs> that, I'm really glad <laughs> I'm really glad you asked that. No, I have always, always, always wanted to go to Vicksburg, Mississippi. Um you know, the Civil War history there, the, the siege of Vicksburg has been uh, completely fascinating to me. And in fact of all aspects of the Civil War, I think I might be more interested in the Siege of Vicksburg than anything else. Well, uh, again, before we get back to the Revolution, I will tell you that the Battlefield Park is only about a mile off the interstate, and they have preserved the earthworks and then brought the cannons back. Of course, probably not the same pieces, because when that siege and battle were over, there was a war on, and they hauled them off someplace else. But they have brought back the same types of cannons and replaced them in the earthworks. Well, a lot of them are the same because they were uh, uh, they were brought back as a unit, uh, as a unit. You know, a lot of the the pieces were. Uh, we and went in, over there. In any event, we spent two days there. It's the revolution, but the guidebook will tell you four hours. Well, you can easily spend two or three days and not be bored a bit. Well, I completely believe that, Dean. Um, and really, that, uh, not to be morbid, but uh, a tour of Vicksburg is definitely on my bucket list. Right, and we, well, it is, we spent it is a couple of well days. Worth it. 
we went there, Dean, and uh, we spent uh, a couple of days there, and, and it was. It was very interesting, and, uh, of course, you know, anything, I'm willing to listen to any any historical spiel, and we we toured uh, the battlefields, and uh, there are a couple of homes that are left there that are the original homes, and uh, one of them, of course, uh, uh, is on your tour list there, is uh, one of the the few remaining homes that are left, and it had been bombarded. And uh, they actually had uh, some of the uh, cannons, uh, the cannonballs left. They actually had a, uh, this is how detailed they had to go to, there was a cannonball in, uh, in uh, I believe that the house had been hit by, I don't know, 75 or 80 of them. And uh, there was one in the tree, and they actually had to bring out... Uh, uh, a whole group of engineers and uh, x-ray equipment and everything else to make sure that uh, the projectile embedded in the tree wasn't still alive because they've had <laughs> many cases they've had many cases there of people doing remodeling jobs on homes and setting off ammunition you know setting off uh, projectiles that have been uh, you know, over a hundred years uh, lodged in their house somewhere, and uh, Jeez. Uh, that's, it was that's some real cool. history for you. Yeah, and uh, we also learned a great deal about uh, uh, on a side thing on about uh, uh, lighting and illness. You know, the people at that time they were using coal oils and a lot of different chemicals as their lighting to you know to burn in lamps. Well, it turns out that a great deal of the chemicals were toxic. And uh, you look at even a lot of the beds that were made during that time, and you, you think, how are they going to lay down in that bed? It's not long enough to lay down in. They must have been shorter. And the answer was the people couldn't lay down in their beds a lot then because they were they had so many uh, uh, breathing disorders from breathing in the chemicals from the lamps that they couldn't lay flat anymore. They had to lay sitting up in their beds to sleep because of the <laughs> uh because of the fluids it collected in their lungs from the uh from their lighting systems from the lamps and stuff. I thought that was a very interesting uh you know side note. Well, oh, anyway, that is it. Uh, and I, I I guarantee not a lot of people know about that. That's that's really fascinating. Uh <laughs> I certainly will check out the site. Uh find out if that was the same Captain Leslie uh that got chased away from the Concord Bridge, who ended up uh, meeting his end in, a year and a half later in Princeton. And uh, well, thank you know, you I would love to know that. And uh, you, you know, and Dean, if you if you find out the answer to that before we do, please, uh, um, really, and I sincerely mean this, please, um, you know, comment about that or, or report about that on our our Facebook page because I know a lot of our subscribers and a lot of our contributors would like to know that. Uh, that is very, uh, you know, that that's interesting stuff, so to speak, to all of us. Uh, I, I think so. The, the more I've gotten into this from the first time I heard the three-strike story told at my first Appleseed event, uh, the more I get into it, the more interesting it is. So, uh, again, thank you for that. All the success in the uh, in the book. And have you come to an Appleseed shoot? Yeah, we'd uh, like well, you to come you, to one. Um, we look forward to coming to an uh, an apple uh, you know an apple seed shoot event. 
Um, I was I was lucky enough to meet some of the folks at the NRA event in Pittsburgh uh, just the other month ago, and uh, we look forward to going to. I believe there's an event in Illinois in September that we are attending. Well, oh, that would be first great. Rate. Uh, first yeah, rate. yeah we're, look, we're looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Dean, for calling. Sure thing. Yeah, Dean is uh, Dean is a good man. He is uh, he's part of our Texas crew here, and uh, and we give him a hard time sometimes because uh, Dean is uh, he's very detailed in his history, and uh, and we joke about uh, about his lead in uh, to the American Revolutionary War, starting with uh, with Lucy. Uh, in Africa, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't go that far. It's just that I have sound effects when I tell the story. <laughs> That's he pretty funny. I like that. He does a great yeah, job. And we really appreciate you, Dean. I, I will tell you that whenever I talk about the taxes, I always draft a teenage girl, tell her she's the sound effects girl, and she take, shakes a can of silver dollars every time I talk about taxes leading up to. Uh, the tea party and everything else. Uh, thank you for appearing. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dean. I look yeah, forward thanks, to seeing you online soon. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he does do a great job. Uh, like I said, we we joke with him uh, a bit because at one I remember one of the first times. This was several years ago. First time Dean said, uh, he goes, "Hey, do you mind if I use some notes when I tell the story?" I said, "No, no, not at all." And I said, "What do you got?" He goes, "I've just got these right here." And I looked at it. I go, "Well." That looks like a lot of notes, Dean. I said, "How many? How what is that?" He goes, "It's just." Uh, he goes, "It's it's only like uh, twenty pages." And I started thinking. I said, "All right, you know, a minute <laughs> a page. That's not bad." But it was twenty pages, twenty some pages front and back, and uh, so so he gave them. He they got their money's worth, and uh, and of course I can't. Uh, I really can't say anything myself because I learned to tell the history from uh, from the boss, from Fred himself, and. Uh, so there have been uh, there have been plenty of times where where my uh, twenty minute history thing has turned into uh, sixty minutes and uh, so uh, but like I said the folks uh, in the program you know if for you to for you to be an instructor in Appleseed <clears throat> that's one of the things that you have to do is you have to be able to tell the story if you cannot right. stand up and tell uh, we call it the three strikes of the match because. Uh, and let me first say that if you can't tell the story, you can't be an instructor. Uh, if, you, if you if you say, well, I can do everything but tell the story, then you're never going to be a full instructor. In order for you to become a full instructor, you have to pass, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the you have to have the ability to tell the three strikes of the match story passionately. That's uh, the story of Lexington. And then the story of the North Bridge and Concord, and then the story about Battle Road, <clears throat> and we call it the three strikes of the match because <clears throat> because uh, our philosophy is that the American Revolutionary War did not start at Lexington. You know the the British uh, regulars and uh, the American colonists. Uh, you can call it a fight. There wasn't much of a fight there. The the folks in Lexington had lined up in order to protest. Uh, they were told to disperse, and and while they were attempting to do so, uh, somebody fired a shot, 
and uh, then they got fired on. Now, uh, according to our philosophy, that uh, if uh, Pitcairn and uh, uh, the rest of the troops would have turned around and gone back to Boston right there, then uh, there's no guarantee that the war would have started that day because, you know, they'd already had they'd had engagements before where they'd shot at each other or where folks had been shot. Yeah, they, most notably, you had the Boston Massacre. That didn't start a war. Oh, absolutely. And um, I, I, I'm just going to take this moment to state this. If any of your listeners go to Boston and they go to the um, uh, the Boston State House and they – Stand there where it's clearly marked out. You know uh, the site of the Boston Massacre. That is that is quite the experience to stand and reflect upon and go. This is where, uh, really, in my opinion, um, you know, one of the first sparks of the American Revolution was ignited. It, it's it's it it really is a, a wonderful uh, place and it's a wonderful experience to reflect upon. Exactly. Well, each of those places, you know, you were talking earlier about going to Lexington and then Concord. You know, uh, two years ago, I took my family and we did that. We made the whole trip. We went every single place that we could go uh, that was related to that, including going to Lexington, going to uh, Lexington Green. And I tell the folks a story of how uh, I wanted to bring something back. And from Lexington Green, I wanted to bring some soil back. So there is... Uh, there are the graves there where the, some of the folks are buried. And uh, the grass is nice and neatly mowed, but inside the grave area, it wasn't mowed. And uh, I stuck my hand through the bars around the fence. I looked around first to make sure there were no park rangers or anything around. And I started digging to get, uh, you know, just to get a little handful of soil to take back with me. And lo and behold, it's a place where people also throw money. And and then I realized that because I put my hand in there was money in it and I immediately threw it all down and tried to get out of there as quick as I could. I don't want anybody to think I was stealing money from the graves of the American Revolutionary War soldiers. And uh, I surreptitiously yeah, you, you got Yeah, you don't want to get accused of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I said, man, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a severe beating if anybody sees me doing this. I didn't know that there was any money in there. Uh, <laughs> But when you're standing there on that ground, when you're standing, I'm, I'm right here. I'm standing right here where it happened. And then later at the North Bridge, and uh, yep. and then we walked along Battle Road back. And uh, for the folks who haven't been there, there are gravestones all along the, ru- the route back uh, for the British regulars who were killed. And... Uh, and they are tended That's by right. their. They were, they were on their, their uh, you know, their former march back from Concord towards towards, towards Boston. Right, and in every place that there, there are British soldiers. Uh, every place that they were killed, there are markers there, and they're tended by their uh, fellow British. There are Union Jacks, little Union Jack flags planted there, and notes and cards and stuff uh, that have been placed there by I'm presuming English citizens. And uh Well and you know, I been, you know, I, I've been to the reenactments there and um that doesn't surprise me. A lot of um you know British and Irish folk come over and um that you know they have uh, understandably a lot of um sentimental feelings and, and pride and um 
uh, you know, uh, emotional feeling towards um, what their ancestors did um, back there in, in 1775. So uh, to me, uh, that makes a lot of sense, and I um, I, I think that's that's uh, really kind of a, a neat and a unique and a fa- fascinating one of the fascinating parts of the uh, very fascinating American Revolution. Right, and and it is, and you know, we we still hold a unique tie to them. You've got the the folks uh, who were arguing, and people. A lot of people don't understand that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't the whole country of England. All of the people, at least not in the beginning, all of the people against the colonists. I mean, you had plenty of folks who were saying this is wrong. This is wrong. Those are our fellow brothers and sisters. And you had plenty of the people that said, uh, "Oh, I can't remember the guy who said it now, but his quote was, uh, an Englishman." is the worst qualified person to try and talk another Englishman into slavery. And, uh, <laughs> That's a really good quote. Yeah, he said, you know, we're, we're, this is, you know, we're the absolute worst at this. We can't talk another Englishman into slavery. And, uh, and you're absolutely correct. Whenever you go to those sites, it, 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 it is completely different than reading about it in a book. Whenever you stand on the bridge, uh, you know, at the North Bridge there, and you look across the field, and, uh, you know, at, at once uh, I was at uh, uh, a couple of years ago. I go to New York every year, and I go to all the battlefields that I can get to up there. I was walking oh, through. By the uh, way, I, I want to take this point out, uh, this t- this moment, to say that uh, the history of the American Revolution in uh, New York State and New York history is, in my opinion, um, tragically Overlooked. Yes. Yes, a great deal of it uh, is overlooked. But at the same way, I think a lot of the the history of the American Revolution in the South is overlooked. You know, people oh, think uh, about you'll get no and New England. For, uh, from there, especially from our, our, our the editor of the magazine, David Ruhr, who is down in Camden, South Carolina, the site of the uh, you know the Battle of Camden. Um, Really, uh, many historians state and in, in, in accurately that uh, towards the end of the revolution, the revolution was won in the South. So I, right. I just wanted to – I have a very special place in my heart for uh, New York in the revolution, even though the city was kind of a, a staging point, a hotbed for the loyalists. There were a lot of very important events pertaining to the American Revolution in New York and Long Island and Manhattan – not a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, uh, know about or, or even remember. Exactly. You have uh, you have a great deal of battles being fought in New York, and then uh, and a lot of those too are are very tragic ones, uh, like the Battle of Oriskany. And uh, you know, when I was there uh, a couple of years ago, and I read, I did write a story about the travel to it because because it was very moving to me and <clears throat> i uh i remember when i was walking down into the ambush site and i was completely alone because there was a storm gathering but i was walking down to the end to the ambush site the hairs on the back of my neck were coming up because in my mind i was thinking here i am the exact place and and any second I'm going to get a walnut-sized chunk of lead. It's going to smack me in the back of the head, and uh, that's going to be it for me. And 
it's being at a battle site is much different than reading about it. So I always encourage folks that if you get a chance, go to some of the sites, read about the history of the site, and then go there so that you can you can actually visualize it, that you can experience it, uh, you know, from that site at that site. Uh, but what I was saying earlier about <clears throat> the three strikes of the match is, you know, if they would have turned around at Lexington and gone home, then that might have been the end of it. And then you have the North Bridge. Now at the North Bridge, there was a decidedly different outcome. You had uh, uh, a superior uh, colonial force that uh, actually, for the one of the first times, had caused uh, had broken up a British force of British regulars and caused them to make a mad dash and retreat. And they shot quite yep. a few of them. So if he would have uh, hightailed it from there and said, that's it, let's go right now, and taken off, then uh, that may have been the, the end of it, at least for that day, because uh, because you had the scales had tipped back. Yeah, they'd had some folks shot at Lexington Green, but now you had them getting whipped and running at Concord. So that, could, that would have evened it out, uh, at least as far as, uh, I think, as far as the concerns of the folks, but that's not what happened. So you had first strike of the match at Lexington, and you had the match struck, but it didn't take hold. You had the second strike of the match at Concord at the North Bridge, and then the match went out. However, uh, whenever the British regulars, whenever they had dallied there long enough, long enough for the uh, uh, for the militias to dash around Arrowhead, uh, uh, the Arrowhead uh, Bluff there, and get into position at uh, Merriam's Corner. From that point on, they and up until that point, they were still under orders: do not fire unless fired upon. Because as we know, if you shoot first, you're a rebel, and nobody's going to join your cause if you attack a British uh, force of British of your own government. But in both cases, they didn't. They were simply protesting, and they were shot at first. But yep. from Marion's Corner on, that was no longer the case. So by the time they hit Marion's Corner, the uh, colonial forces, the militia, began shooting at every chance they got. Now, once that had been done, and they started killing the British regulars in earnest, then there was no going back. Yep, that, that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, and that, you know, I, it, it doesn't matter how many times I read about it, that history, that early part of the revolution, um, it can't help but, you know, in, in, inspire me. It, it, it is a fascinating and vital part of our nation's history. Right, so we, we, uh, we make it a... It is a requirement that you be able to tell the three strikes of the match and uh, be qualified to do it in order for you to become an instructor. If you're if you're not familiar with it, or if you have stage fright or whatever, then then you're you never advance to full instructor. So that's one of our that's our hallmark. That's what makes us different than anybody else. And that reminds me, let me clear something else up for you for too that uh, that Dean said. He said April nineteenth was our holiday, and uh, uh, it's it's a little bit different than that. What he meant to say was April nineteenth is our signature weekend, 
because on April 19th, we pull out all the stops, and uh, we light a fire under every state, and we run uh, uh, over 100 simultaneous shoots. And not only do we do that, but we have a uh, uh, simultaneous volleys of fire in honor of the uh, the men who died at Lexington. Well, we have it timed out, so everybody starts it at the same time. We'll read out the names, fire a volley, read out the names, and fire a volley. So across all across the United States, at a certain point on that weekend, we'll be fired uh, usually quite a, right around 40,000 rounds. That's incredible. And then there's the um, the big event in Illinois on in, in September, uh, September 11th weekend, correct? Right. 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 They're going to have a. They're going to pull out all the stops and try and have a uh, a record record number of folks on the line. And then uh, out in California, they're going to do uh, the same thing a little bit later. They're going to try and uh, run a line of uh, 210 plus shooters on the same day on the same line. Uh, we've got another caller. Let me see. Oh, okay. uh, area code seven one three five five three. You're on the air. Seven one three five five three. You're on the air. He may just be listening. Uh, yep, if you are, don't, don't, you know, what's that? I said I'm just listening. Are you just listening? Well, listen. You're on the air now. You you don't have something that you want to ask Mr. Hey. Smith or something you'd like to say? No, I'm. I am thoroughly enjoying your show. I enjoy it every time I listen. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Don't hang up. Those things I your pay mic. money for. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Uh, the uh, the switchboard here has uh, it has the ability for uh, for me to tell. Usually, I've got a, a great guy call screener too that uh, that will put in the information for me. But sometimes folks call in and. Uh, and sometimes they don't want to talk, but uh, I'll put them on the air anyway, and they'll turn out to be uh, they'll turn out to be a good call. Uh, all right, uh, let's see. There was another thing I wanted to say, and that was thank you, because I want to tell everybody who's listening that uh, Patriots of the American Revolution magazine uh, donated a, an ad to <clears throat> the Appleseed Project. Yes, and, and we we were glad to do so. It, it's our pleasure, and uh, not only in in the most recent July August issue, but we plan to do it in the upcoming September October issue as well. That's absolutely fantastic, and we thank you so much for that. And uh, you know, I tell the folks all the time here that <clears throat> that as an organization, uh, we should be helping each other, and then. Also, anybody, anytime anybody uh, gives us a hand, does something to help us or promote the project, then we should be supporting them, too. And that's one of the things that we want to do with you and your magazine. So uh, tell the folks how they, can, uh, how they can subscribe to the magazine. Uh, and, uh, oh, sure. Uh, there's a few different ways. <laughs> Um, again, the, the magazine is called Patriots of the American Revolution, and you can go to www.patriotsar.com, or you can call 937-767-1433, and we can uh, 
take care of um, single copy sales or subscriptions. All right, and you also have the ability for folks to uh, procure back issues of the magazine. Uh, that is correct. Interestingly enough, this is a true story. Uh, yesterday, uh, four different people called our office, and they had just found the magazine, which is on newsstands, and they were able to purchase, um, and they did, every single one of our back issues, uh, you know, all of our back issues that we have for sale, and it, just call 937-767-1433. All right. And uh, <clears throat> let's see. We got one of the questions from the folks in the chat room, and uh, I think I've got a page pulled up here to, to answer it, but it says, how much how much are the issues of the magazine? Back issues are $5. Oh, sure. If you $5. call 937-767-1433, uh, they are only five dollars each, um, and that's for uh, any single copy issue of the magazine from now back to uh, you know 2009. Okay, and the subscription price one year, uh, which is six issues in the United States, is twenty nine ninety five. Yes, if you so. call our, our office and you order via credit card, you get uh, six issues. Right, six issues for twenty seven ninety five. Uh if you send in a check or money order uh to the mail it's uh twenty nine ninety five. We offer people who order immediately with a credit card uh, a bit of a discount. Okay, great. And uh like I said you can uh you can read uh a lot of the great books that are out there and you can get uh, a good overview of the uh, of the information about the uh, American Revolutionary War, and then to fill in uh, the uh, the specifics of it, one of the best things you can do is subscribe to this magazine. And listen, then you don't have to go to the bookstore or to the library; it will be delivered to your door. And uh, you will get uh, a lot of the great uh, information about specific individuals and specific events delivered directly to you. And uh, and you also have the ability. There's a. uh, Let me see here. I'll pull up the the uh, writer's guidelines here because I was looking at that earlier. It says uh, Patriots of the American Revolutionary. uh, Patriots of the American Revolution is always looking for articles about leaders, battles, and events of the American Revolution, uh, early American culture and politics, ancestors who fought in the American Revolution, uh, preservation and archaeological efforts, dedications, reenactments, various American Revolution organizations, and new books and films about the American Revolution. And if you want to submit an article, then you can uh, contact... uh, David Paul Ruhr, am I saying that right? Yep, that's absolutely correct. Okay, and it, the information is right there on the uh, page at uh, www.patriotsar.com. And uh, and it's a great chance if some of you guys want to, because uh, I know we we have a lot of uh, very uh, talented 
uh, writers because uh, a lot of folks do a lot of great writing for uh, the organization, for the forum. If uh, some of you guys want to submit for consideration an article, then uh, then I suggest you go to uh, www.patriotsar.com and uh, click on the uh, uh, writer's guidelines, and that gives you the information to submit it. And see if you can uh, get one of your articles uh, published there. I think that would be great. Maybe even uh, it says uh, various American Revolution organizations. Maybe they would consider if uh, somebody wrote uh, a story about the Appleseed Project. Maybe they would consider that. So uh, oh, I encourage absolutely. you guys to I mean, submit. Um, you know, I, want, I, I do want your listeners to know that um, even though we do have this pool of kind of um, – uh, you know, um, regular staff writers. We always, always, always accept new article, you know, articles and and um, content by new and up and coming writers. So uh, we we salute that and we welcome that. Well, there you go. So uh, some of you guys uh, uh, that have relatives that uh, you worked hard at, because I know that the, the folks that do this, that, that uh, research their genealogy and stuff, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. And uh, and once you've done that, once you've uh, dug through all of the paperwork and all of the uh, the pension uh, records, et cetera, and you found out the story about uh, your relative, then you want to share that with folks. And listen, and we want... To read about it, so uh, so do yourselves a favor. You know, put it together in a good package, and uh, and make sure that you uh, you follow the guidelines and stuff. I'm sure that if you contact the the uh, magazine, that they will they will give you some suggestions and some help in it. And, uh, uh, and hey, yeah, the let me just take a moment. Um, you know, we we. I was talking to our editor, uh, David Palmer, uh, just today about this, and really, I mean, we're, you know, we're fans of and suckers for anything about the American Revolution. Uh, there's just a few basic things we ask for. One, um, you know, make sure your uh, your articles are um, referenced or sourced. You know, you have some a list of notes or sources at the end of the article, so we know. Um, yeah, because all of our articles are fact checked, so we know what sources you use, and we can double check those. And David and I were talking about the ho hum factor. If you're writing about something about the American Revolution, try not to make it ho hum. You know, make it pop, make it exciting, because the American Revolution was and remains exciting. Uh, everything, in our opinion, pertaining to the American Revolution is dynamic. It is exciting. Uh, it is vital. It is important, and we just want that kind of energy to come through in the articles. Exactly. And whenever we, whenever I'm talking to uh, new instructors about telling the story, that's what we call it. We call it telling the story. Uh, I tell them. I said, look, <clears throat> uh, uh, as much as uh, as much as I'm a stickler for. Uh, Making it historically correct uh, that this isn't a uh, that whenever they're telling the story that it is not a uh, dissertation or a presentation to your doctorate board. What it is is for you to make sure 
that you are making the folks who are listening, make them understand uh, your the passion and make them understand how important it is to you. Now, I know for the magazine, of course, it has to be historically correct. But that right. same the same idea that you were saying about the whole hum factor, I tell the folks, I said, when you're telling the story, you need – uh, you need to find some way, you know, the story is every individual tells the story a different way, and that's what we want them to do. Because we want them to go through, sift through all the information, and then find the parts of the the story that resonate in their hearts so that they can tell the story passionately. Because I tell the folks, I go, listen, if you tell the story, if you don't make it interesting, if you don't make it seem like it's important to you, then why in the world are they going to think it's important to them? You know, you yeah, need to make that's sure a that, very, very, very good point. Yeah, you've got to make sure that, that when you tell it, that it needs to come across, it needs to be understood that this is important to you. And I would much rather have uh, uh, have folks concentrating on that than being worried about some of the more uh, the more minute details because – I can tell you from telling the story many, many times that uh, that folks who are sitting there in the heat of the day listening to you, they can only accept so much at that point. And uh, I tell the folks who are really gun-shy about it, I say, look, just uh, just don't say that General Gage was leading the Patriots uh, or that Washington <laughs> was you know, trying to confiscate the gunpowder and you're going to do fine because the fact is, is that the majority of the American public – is very ignorant about uh, the events of that day. So, you know, if they stick to the to the main ideas about it and then engage the listeners with their passion, that they're going to do just fine. No, I agree. I agree. There's a, there's a lot to learn. Um, it never ceases being a lot to learn. Um, but we really, truly feel that um, it's an overlooked. And, and 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 I'll be honest. I don't know why it's overlooked um, because it shouldn't be. I mean, it's it's the founding of our nation, but it it, it appears to be a, um, to some people a forgotten or overlooked era. Well, uh, yeah, a lot of that, I, you know, is uh, uh, well, you know, a lot of it is just the fact that, uh, like in uh, in American public schools, they have a limited number of time you only have this amount of time and you can only get this much of stuff in and only these questions are going to be on the tax test and so uh, you got to run through it and uh, you know what I've done is uh, I've volunteered I go down to the school and uh, I tell the story at the school and uh, I think that uh, and we've got a uh, we have a new program out now that uh, that I'll tell you about real quick, and it's called uh, these are called library seeds. And what it is is instead of going to a firing line, and getting everybody on the firing line with their rifles and stuff, because, because everybody won't go, is we do run the same apple seed program as far as telling the story, but we do it at a library, and uh, we invite all the folks in and we tell them the story of April nineteenth, seventeen seventy five, and. Uh, and it's been very, very successful. Uh, you know, people really enjoy it. And I know that if you're going to do it, if you do it at the schools, and the schools are almost always glad to have you come in because, uh, you know, it gives the teacher a day off, 
and uh, they get to hear uh, detailed information from somebody who who knows it. And I've got a I've got a huge stack of letters of thank you letters from the kids, uh, and I'll have to put a disclaimer in here that they were forced to write them, but uh, <laughs> a huge stack of letters from the kids, and uh, and it's always very rewarding uh, to do that. And uh, and of course, uh, you know, when they hear that. Uh, Paul Revere didn't say the British are coming. Uh, then they're all stunned. They're all amazed because that's what the history books tell them. And uh, yeah, and so it's no, uh, it's uh, um, it's a very little understood. And you know, I I'm, I don't understand. I honestly don't understand why why it's such a. Uh, I mean, I, I I agree with you about um, public schools and the limitation of what they cover. But ultimately, I do. I just kind of marvel at the fact that this Jesus such vital, important, vital, amazing part of our nation's history is just overlooked. Right, and every the things that we do today are directly related to the events, and not just in the United States, as we were saying earlier, uh, all across the world, many of the things that happen today are because of what happened on April 19, 1775. You have the American Revolution helped by the French. You have the French Revolution, which followed uh, not too long after on the heels of the American Revolution with the same ideas, uh, with the ideas of, uh, of freedom and, and liberty. And you, right. have, uh, <clears throat> you have even just, uh, I'd say little things. There's not little things, but you, if you read... Uh, about the events of April 19, 1775, you'll see that uh, when the British regulars got to Concord, you can read this directly in the uh, in the accounts of it. They say they began to search the houses without warrant. Without no, warrant, it, they searched yeah. without warrant, and that was that made them horribly upset. And so what do we have now? The we have protection against unreasonable search and seizure. Oh, absolutely. No, it it, it is. I mean, uh, you, you just can't. You, if you're truly a student of, yeah, no, and you're right. If you're not just American history, but if you're a student of modern history, you you need to know the revolution. Exactly, and uh, and you guys do an excellent job. With your magazine. So once again, I'm going to tell the, uh, everybody that's listening that uh, we we would love that. For one thing, uh, Mr. Smith and uh, and the rest of the folks there at uh, 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 Ertl Publishing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Ertl uh, uh, Publishing is the um, the company I work for, and we own and we uh, publish Patriots of the American Revolution. And. Uh, they have very generously donated. I believe it was a, was it a full page ad? I, I full page ad, and, and we're gonna do it again in the September October issue. Um, but it's, it's a, an amazing looking ad. Uh, we've already gotten a lot of feedback on it. It's a you know a, a fantastic, beautiful full page ad. It's very very dramatic and very effective. Wow. Well, I can't wait till I get my uh, issue of it, and then I imagine what I'll do is go back and get the. Uh, the earlier issues too but uh, I'm subscribing to it for my family uh, and I encourage the rest of you to do so also because uh, number one uh, 
It's a great magazine, a great way to get additional information that you can then pass on uh, to the folks whenever you're adding Appleseed because that's one of the things that we do is we, we pass on the information that we get to the folks. And then, uh, and then also, as a, uh, I encourage you to do so because of the fact that, uh, that they are helping us and we help the folks that help us. So I encourage you guys to subscribe uh, to this magazine. And uh, I'd actually like to see uh, a little bit of competition in this and see uh, see which states uh, push this the most and which states. Uh... <laughs> I'd like to see that, too. I think that would be a very interesting uh, experiment. And uh, I would encourage you guys, too, to have a copy uh, sitting out on your display table uh at events, I mean, uh, we can't. Yeah. Uh, we're forbidden from hawking anything at a uh, at an event, but uh, certainly, uh, once the event's over, you can. Uh, uh, and you guys are sitting around your campfire, or you're talking, or something. You can certainly pull this out and say, "Hey, uh, besides uh, David Hackett Fisher, and I consider this to be uh, uh, part of the education that uh, you can say this is where we're getting our information from." So. I encourage you guys to subscribe. And uh, well, well uh, thank you very much, and thank you for having us on. Well, I want to thank you very much for uh, uh, for setting aside the time to to do this. And I know it's uh, getting close to ten o'clock there where you are, Mr. Smith. That's right. Thank you so much, and thank your magazine for the for what you do. And uh, maybe uh, uh, maybe a little bit in the future we can have you back on and. Uh, and as oh, you, uh, I, I, that would be again. great. I would love it. It's been uh, truly my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Well, you take care of yourself, and uh, thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk to you again in the future. And listen, if you uh, if you go to an Appleseed event, then uh, be sure and let us know about that. Uh, we'll do. We'll do. And, uh, again, like I said, we'll see people down in sep- September down uh, up in uh, Illinois for the September 11th event. All right. Perfect. All right, thank you, Mr. Right. Smith, and you have a good evening. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. All right, good night. All right, good night. All right, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm really appreciative of uh, Benjamin Smith giving us the time uh, this evening to talk about history and. Uh, for the great job that the magazine does uh, on presenting that history and making sure that uh, that it is available to us, like I said, this is the only magazine of its kind is uh, that uh, that pays attention and delivers the uh, history of the American Revolution. All right, and I can see people already saying they've got their first issues in the mail. Several people, Dean, too. Well, listen. Uh, thanks again, everybody, to uh, uh, everybody who called in and uh, all the folks who are listening, to all of the folks who uh, uh, who helped out in the chat room. Thanks to everybody who is a part of the Appleseed Project and who donates their time and uh, the tremendous effort that everybody puts in. And uh, we'll see you again next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central Time. 
All right. Thank you very much, and uh, we will see you then. Stand up and fight 